Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host... As always, Connor Rebush. I feel like I should like slow it down each time. Mm-hmm. Just like I'm just waiting for a long enough pause for me to be able to throw a host. <laughs> As always, that's a great intro. That would be really good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, really grab the listeners by the ears. Yeah, yeah. that's gonna... me. <laughs> that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's um, right, Zane. That's right. We had, we really got to get the soundboard in here with like the Ooh, like fart noise and the like car horn and uh-huh. the explosion stuff. And my co-host Connor Rebush. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Yeah, get on the <laughs> space laser sounds. All yeah. the sounds that would come on like one of those, uh, you know, toys that took five cents to produce in yeah. China for children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're turning this into a call-in show, folks. That's right. The MMA vivisection tchotchke hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. But we're here talking about this UFC on ABC, Rosenstroke versus Almeida, UFC Charlotte prelim card at the moment, headliner between heavyweights, Jairzino Rosenstroke and Jailton Almeida, and a featured prelim, and it is indeed a featured prelim, Credit to this card for that. Like I say, I think they actually tried to put together a fun card. Yeah. Maybe they just like to complain. You know, last week's pay-per-view, it was like, frankly, looking back, a pretty solid pay-per-view. Like a pretty fun night of fights. And then just like that one stinker just somehow ruins it all. Yeah. And then you look at this and it's like, yeah, the main event sucks. Who cares about the co-main? But it's the, the undercard is actually fine. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's not bad. It's not bad. And our featured prelim, Matt Brown, Court McGee. Yeah. Two old road dogs at the end of their career. Two dudes that it's hard to believe they had they haven't fought twice already. Honestly, yeah. Two and, dudes uh, who I believe have uh, technically died uh, on hospital room tables in their lives. This is true as well. Right? Two, two, two recovering heroin addicts, I think. Mm-hmm. Two guys with some interesting life stories. Yeah, and a lot of perseverance. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's fascinating, too, because they're also two fighters who have had very limited games over their entire careers that have mm-hmm. largely remained unchanged. Yeah. But just built really comfortably into those games for year after year after year. Yeah, so they were always interesting and dangerous and relevant. You know, it's very, they're very much they are prototypes of how fighters tend to actually evolve. 100%. If you want to look at how a fighter evolves, look at Court McGee because you go back ten years with Court McGee and you're like, oh man, here's a high energy guy 
with some good takedowns who could really use better grappling and boxing. If he just, you know, grew a jujitsu game and learned to box, mm-hmm. Court McGee could be like, you know, borderline contender or something, you know, just the way fans think. Right. And what really happened is that Court McGee stayed a cardio machine. He stayed high output. He worked on keeping his hands, keeping his striking busy and on pressure and on staying confident and on a grappling game largely based on controlling people on the mat and keeping that work rate up. And he just Mm -hmm. leaned into the things he was good at. A lot of losses in there, some good wins in there, but it's just always kind of, you know, it's stuck to the same things and the confidence just grew in the things that he did well. Same basic architecture. Yeah. He did definitely improve his boxing mechanics. Yeah. Quite a bit. Um, So that, you know, there's always like some like fine grain kind of improvements for these guys. For Mm -hmm. Matt Brown, probably that would be his jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu like, game improved a lot over the years. Yeah, just the just the sort of like control and efficiency of his of his submission grappling was probably his little uh, nitty gritty improvement area. He's basically the same Muay Thai uh, power punching uh, clinch machine he always was on the feet. Yep. Uh, not a lot has changed there at all, really. Um. Yeah. I mean, a perfectly sensible matchup for two old guys who have in uh, very recent times been uh, crushed by <laughs> just like younger, more athletic uh, monsters. Yeah. For Court McGee, it was that fight with uh, the always comical Jeremiah Wells. Yeah. Um, Matt Brown has had a different sort of array of people beating him. In fact, it's been like other crusty old dudes who have beaten him in his last two fights. Mm-hmm. The real like old man loss was the one to Miguel Miguel Baeza, where he was yeah completely winning. Um, and then just he's old; he gets tired fast now. Yep. Uh, he who's always a guy who got tired fast, but he used to be one of those like dominant cruise types. Like you would see him gasping for breath, and he would just keep pushing through it. Yep. Now he gets tired and he slows down, and he can't keep up the same pace anymore. Yep. Which kind of, uh, you know, tips your hand, right? Yeah, it does feel like a bad sign against Court McGee. I mean, the thing is, though, that, like, Matt Brown is still a very, very dangerous striker. Sure. Um, He has always had very heavy hands. He has always, he's had a a rhythm to his striking that is difficult to read. Uh Uh, Certainly, he's capable of throwing and has thrown and knocked people out with the exact lunging left hook that Jeremiah Wells caught Court McGee with. Absolutely. That's very reminiscent of the of the punch that uh, Brown knocked out um, Mike Swick with. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that was a like that iconic image of Matt Brown. If you just picture Matt Brown in your head. Yeah. There's that image of you see the camera, it's the over the cage camera looking right down at him as he lunges forward with the left hand, yeah. just yeah. totally stretched out, ex- extended all the way to the max. Yeah. So if uh, if Matt Brown's like endurance uh, has taken a hit, then I think um, Court McGee's durability seems to have taken a hit. Court McGee also was always, for, for as high output as he was, was always a pretty slow fighter. 
Mm-hmm. And he has only gotten slower. Uh, what has really spared him from, from spared him from paying for that more often has been the fact that, yeah, he's put together a solid a solid boxing game, but you you can just put him out of position by just doing things too aggressively and too quickly for him, and he will just he just like stumbled backwards when Well caught him with a left hook. wasn't because he got hit; it's because he was trying not to get hit with the preceding punch, and. Wells timed it when he was like throwing a kick and so his feet weren't in position and just the whole laborious process of resetting himself and getting his balance back. The big window for Wells to hit him. Brown is going to have that window too. Sure. Um, yeah. I don't was, know. That, I don't know how much I would take off of Court McGee's durability just for that though. No, no. Wells is a shockingly well, is a, is a monster. Fighter. Yeah, and it's not like he had never been knocked out before. Um, I think it was Ponzinibbio who caught him back in the day. Yeah, it's his only other knockout before, but yeah. 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 But I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess I'll take Court McGee just because... Because there's he's, one round of chance from exactly, Brown. yeah, and and Brown is still a very exciting and interesting striker. Like, um, even getting old, he he's he's still going to find those opportunities. But if he can't put Court McGee away, he's going to be dealing with a pace and a grinding style that just seems like antithetical to to the man Matt Brown is now. Yeah, right. It's, that's anathema is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Like, just grinding away both with striking and wrestling, sapping your energy, just making you deal with shit the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah I guess I'll take Court McGee. I think I just have to lean McGee. Like, sure, Matt Brown could knock him out in the first round. Or, you know, he, Matt Brown has finished people in the second round. In, he finished Diego Lima in the second round. He finished mm-hmm. Ben Saunders in the second round. Mm-hmm. It is possible. But in his other fights, and, you know, the, the thing with McGee is, is that McGee will, will go out and try to push the pace on Matt Brown. Yeah. You know, it is what McGee does best. And in ways that Diego Lima and Ben Saunders would not necessarily. They were, you know, maybe more content to just... 100%, yeah. Uh. So, yeah, like I just can't look at, you know, fights like the Barbarana fight and the Condit fight and the Baeza fight and things like that where Brown, he starts hot and then he fades and think, oh, Court McGee will fade with him. So, right. I got to take McGee to, to get the decision here. Brown is still dangerous. McGee is hurtable, but, like, Brown doesn't have the speed that Jeremiah Wells has right now. It's true. He's got and reach. He's got reach that uh, he's Wells got reach. have. Yeah, got reach. But... He's got weirdly long arms, Matt Brown. Yeah. So I I just have to as a knee jerk pick McGee, and if he gets knocked out, will I be surprised? No, but I will. Well, they be... they are weirdly long. Six foot tall and seventy six inch wingspan. Yeah. Arms are four inches longer from fingertip to fingertip than he is tall. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I agree. Yeah, it, it's just one of those, you know, nobody's going to be that shocked if Matt Brown 
knocks out Court McGee, but I will be extremely unshocked if Court McGee out-wrestles Matt Brown for three rounds. Yeah. McGee opened at minus 164, is currently at minus 205, or 207, rather. Brown opened at plus 147 and is currently at plus 183. So odds are getting a little longer on that fight, and I can see it. It's just... Like I say, it's just kind of the basic knee-jerk read. Mm-hmm. Now we get to a heavyweight fight that we've already broken down before. and uh, Oh, have we? Yeah, this fight got canceled a couple weeks ago and moved to this card. Uh, it doesn't uh, look like it's gotten any uh, more difficult to call. No. No, and uh, the fact that it was... Uh, scrapped on fight day for a medical issue with Sherman doesn't make me any more confident at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, hope, I hope he just had a cold or something. I mean, yeah. Uh, I no matter what, like this is just a. This, uh, Chase Sherman just doesn't look like he enjoys fighting anymore. No, we've said it a dozen times. He just yeah. does not have a good time out there. Yeah. And, like, the win he got over Vanderaw was just such a mod. Like, you shouldn't be fighting with that weight on your shoulders. Right. Where getting a win is like, oh, God, thank you. know, he just was, like, elated and just being like, you know, I need to do more. And, like, fighting with that kind of pressure just, yeah, it sucks. And desperately needed it. To be fair, he had been fighting like pretty much all good fighters. I mean, the last fight he won, no surprise, was against Ike Villanueva. Yeah. Uh, but then they put him in there against Waldo Cortez Acosta. Nobody's idea of a world beater, very much still a prospect, if anything. And he couldn't win that one either. Yeah. The thing at this point has to be said with Chase Sherman is. If people, if if his opponent has any obvious edge on him, he just doesn't. He's not going to win that fight. Pretty much, he's a high output heavyweight who is durable enough, but not durable so durable that he can't be knocked out in a high out in in an absolute war. Yep. And he doesn't have he put his focus into developing his boxing game which pretty much always means he has to be in a war because it's all about pocket fighting for him right and it means like there's still no emphasis on a wrestling game at all there's still no emphasis on a kicking game at all and i mean i don't think he really the idea of chase sherman doing the classic mma fighter thing of being like oh i have to do more moves like that's not the problem. He's, yeah. he's in there. He's he has a style which demands that he be in range to get hit, and he has absolutely zero defense. I, I zero. Mean, I, I think his defense has improved a little at times, but the problem <sighs> is that now he's at a stage where he doesn't enjoy it anymore. So his defense can be okay for a minute or two, and then once he starts getting hit, he starts getting hard on himself. He has no defense when he's actually trying to win. Yeah, he has no defense when he's actually <sighs> like if he wants to put himself in range to actually throw punches, you can just yeah anything. Yeah, it's uh, true. he he might go completely defensive these days and 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 yeah, be harder to hit because he's literally not trying to win the fight anymore. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, Carl Williams, uh, to your point, is a fighter with a couple advantage, clear advantages over Chase Sherman. Much he, more, much faster. Yeah, he's super fast uh, for a guy his size. He's more than capable with his still uh, infant boxing game of throwing very quick, straight, long punches. Yep. He's going to land jabs on Chase Sherman, no doubt. Uh, besides the fact that he is that that rarity of rarities, a heavyweight who's actually pretty good at wrestling. Yeah. He can hit clean shot takedowns. He can wrestle in the clinch. Um, he just shocks people with the speed of his level changes and his drive. And there is no way Chase Sherman is, uh, Chase Sherman's not like, like a one shot knockout artist anyway. Like the, no, he just, yeah. he's just going to get pushed out of the fight. He has to get into a brawl and win out with technique in the brawl. Yeah. And, and at this point, I wouldn't even say that Williams couldn't <laughs> maybe win that fight. He well, doesn't Juan have Cortez to have Costa did. Exactly. Like yeah. I say, if you have one edge on Sherman, that's enough. If, if your only edge on Sherman is speed, that is enough to beat Chase Sherman because he is ha- he has to have a brawl. And it's a brawl that even if he's more technical than you, he's going to make a 50-50 fight. Right. Where any amount of advantage to his opponent is going to remove his own ability, his own, you know, advantage. Yep. Williams, though, doesn't even have to have that fight with him. No, no, he doesn't. He's just going to take him down. Yep. Feel bad for Chase. Honestly. Yeah. Yep. You hate to see, you know, like uh, fighting is a hard game and it is an unforgiving sport. And it is a sport that re- requires a certain amount of delusion to get through. And it's a sport that even the best fighters out there, I'm happy to see them walk away from it. Mm-hmm. Usually it means somebody is at a point in their life where they can live a more balanced healthy life Mm -hmm. in their own head, even of just being like, Hey, I don't need to be doing this anymore. You know, that's, that's a good place to be, to not feel like you need to get punched in the face anymore for a living. Sure. But Chase Sherman, like, so seeing somebody who doesn't seem like they like it or want to do it Mm -hmm. out there, still doing it. It just, like you really, you really feel like, man. Yeah. Find anything else. Yeah. Because if you're not enjoying this, you are, you are taking all the wrong steps for your health. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of sucks. Sherman is a big underdog. No surprise. Opened at minus 315, jumped up to minus 346, and is currently back down at plus 326. Williams opened at minus 382, dropped down to minus 429, and is currently at minus 400. I just expect that line to get wider, frankly. It it honestly should. Yeah. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout and a certified banger. A fight yep. that I'm actually excited for. Cody Stamen, Douglas Silva de Andrade. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know... A... Go on. I was going to say, you know I love me some Douglas de Silva. Yeah. I've uh, been leading the fan... I've been leading that man's fan club for like 
eight years now. And you pulled me in very early, a guy that yeah. I had not paid much attention to. And you're like, man, I love this dude. And then I watched his fights more closely and I was like, oh, yeah, how can you not? Yeah, right. He's awesome. He's weird and janky, but shockingly crafty. He is insanely tough. Um, just inc- mentally and physically, like, yeah, super, super resilient. And, um, and yeah, just like a weird, creative, power punching maniac. Yeah. The, the kind of stuff that it's so fun to see a fighter who is a, a great athlete and B like learned it all for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. On how to fight. He's not as good, but the fighter, I, I think I've made this comparison before I compare him to, are you familiar with Azuma Nelson? Uh, you should Not, go watch Azuma yeah. Nelson sometime. He, uh, he, you, if you've heard of Salvador Sanchez, the boxer? Barely. Oh my God. Not even the Sun I, Kill Moon song? <laughs> No, no, definitely Sad. not. Music is definitely not going to help me push this gap. <laughs> Sun Kill Moon, a band named after another boxer. Um, anyway, Salvador Sanchez, young legend, absolutely fantastic. Tragically died at like 24 in a, in a car accident, I believe. Mm. Um, burst, still bursting with potential. But while he was champion, this amazing boxer, he got like a short notice fight against this uh, dude from, I think, Ghana, Azuma Nelson. And no one had ever heard of him. The commentator's like, yeah, this Nelson guy, they're like, it's one of those things where they're like mispronouncing his name. Nobody mm. knows who he is. He's like 12 and 0. And he gives Salvador Sanchez the fight of his life. And he is this weird, stocky, little muscle bound, like twitchy, tense fighter mm-hmm. like De Silva. <laughs> just, you, you watch Azuma Nelson, you'll see the comparison. And, and sure. that's what De Silva has is he's just like, yeah, he's like completely tense the entire time. It's like he throws a hook and his entire other half of his body has to rotate to compensate. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's craft there. Like the jankiness of his technique throws you off from like how well he is picking his targets, how well he is putting these weird combinations together um, and combined with his athleticism that he can just fly across distance and shock the hell out of a lot of, the, of other fighters. He is like a surprisingly well put together fighter. Mm-hmm. But like Azuma Nelson's an all-time great. Douglas Silva Dandridge is not quite that level, but that's the comparison that springs to mind. But I will also say, I I really have been liking what I've been seeing out of Cody Stamen too. Yeah, Cody Stamen's a dude who really has he has evolved in an, a very unexpected path. If we're talking about like you know, you look at Matt Brown and Court McGee as fighters who typify what you expect out of MMA evolution, which is they took the game they already had and they just refined it Mm -hmm. more and more over the years. Cody Stamen came in to the UFC as very much a wrestle boxer who wasn't dangerous. Yeah. That was, and and a pretty negative fighter too. Like I think he sensed that he wasn't dangerous. Yeah. Um, And so he would try to mix it up on people and keep them confused uh, and then whenever he could just like take them out of the fight and hold them down, you know, yep. like he got that, what should have been a miracle fight winning opportunity late against Song Yudong mm-hmm. and just couldn't convert that into an actual win. He spent the entire third round on top of him, but it's like, okay, you haven't done this for two of the three rounds. So how do you win? And he didn't know. 
And, you know, you go back and you look at, like, his fights with Tom Dukumois and Brian Caraway early yeah. in his UFC career, and you're like, you physically dominated these people yeah, and barely won these fights. Right. That was just his thing, was yep. physical domination, barely finding a way to victory. Yeah, Terry and Ware, too. Terry and Ware yep. gave him a shockingly difficult fight. Yep. Because he was just in there. I don't think he was trying to coast. I just think his yeah his game wasn't really fleshed out for dominating people as it seemed he sh- he maybe should have done with his physical gifts. And, I mean, he's also very short and stocky. I mean, that's yeah. a physical shortcoming as well. But and so then he hit a he hit a wall mm-hmm. of setbacks, lost three straight fights. Yep, and it seems that what has come out the other side is a man. Dedicated to the to the modern MMA meta. Yeah, he wants to put lots of punches on people. Yeah, a guy who's just like, you know what? I'm I've always been durable. I've always been tough. He's got you. I've always been stocky and strong. I am going to go out there and I'm going to get into the pocket and I'm going to become a pocket combination puncher who dips in and out of range and who crushes people with left hooks to the body. That's yeah. my favorite thing about that Luan Lacerda fight. You just yeah. step in it and just ripping the dude to the liver with that left hook countering. Yeah. And, and, and there's still, you know, like a lot of elements of Cody Stamen, like and that was a fight where he was against a kicker and yeah. he did pay for it a bit, but he also found an interesting way of fighting from long range and then just like dipping into the pocket with a sudden salvo and otherwise, like, forcing Lacerda to reset a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Lacerda, a solid fighter as well. I mean, that was a really good fight. Yeah. and But, like, so, yeah, Stamen's counterpunching, his higher output boxing, he, the way he's putting his combinations together and actually seizing moments to back Lacerda up. Um, he just looks a lot more, like, assertive and confident in his hands. And he's had, like, good boxing technique this whole time. Sure. He just hasn't been that aggressive with it. Yeah, I think uh, so that I really losing like that. streak just lit a fire under him. Hundred percent. He really feels like yeah, he came back mad, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, he's like putting that nice jab, that nice left hook, things he's always had. He's just putting them out there in combination a lot more aggressively, and just sort of the my favorite thing about that Lacerda fight was that again, not an easy matchup, Mm-mm. and he just refused to be pushed out of it. That just sort of an attitude that I feel I haven't seen out of Cody Stamen very often before. Yeah, usually when he's faced real physical threats in the past, yeah. he will just drift drift back. Yeah, he just like soaked up what he had to soak up and responded with the aggression that was necessary to to actually command a fight against a younger and very aggressive opponent. Yeah. Good good showing. Um I don't really know what to make of this matchup. I mean, I, I really like both of these guys. Stamen has really ignited my interest. Of course, I love, love Douglas De Silva. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We're going to have some fun exchanges. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure how to pick it. I, I think the big thing I have to pick is on the... I, I have to pick on the back of Stamen's durability. Mm-hmm. Because that has been... Win or lose, That has that has carried him through a lot. That's true. He has never been knocked out, has he? He has never been knocked out. He's been submitted twice, never yeah. knocked out. Wow. 27 fight career, never been knocked out. Yep. 
and he is really just insanely tough. Like I said, I think that's kind of the thing maybe that this losing streak got to got into his head. It's just like I you know, I've got the chin. Why am I why am I drifting out of these fights? Yeah. Why why am I not trusting myself to go out there and fight aggressively? He strikes me as a guy who has like all round durability too. Yeah. Just like Lacerda hit him with a shitload of body kicks and low kicks that had clean hard kicks that had no discernible effect yeah he's just a tank he is and if given that like da silva is very much a live by the sword die by the sword kind of dude absolutely like he he will not put himself in he will put himself in consistent positions of danger and he will not throw a ton of offense while doing it. And so it kind of means he leans on, can I hurt you a lot? Or am I going to get hurt? Or am I going to get outworked in the process? And in this case, like, I have to lean on Cody Stamen not getting hurt. If he can, if he can fight fearlessly, I think he can outwork Douglas De Silva. If he can't fight fearlessly, if he if De Silva can put a scare into him, mm-hmm. then De Silva's you know he's won great decisions. He beat he beat Marlon Vera by a decision. Yeah. Uh, if you if you go away from Douglas De Silva, he will stay on you, and he will stay you know he will keep hitting you with hard stuff. He'll keep coming forward. He'll keep making you know the fight difficult and being janky and being offbeat and all that. But he can also get he can also get pushed out of a fight via pace yeah and i think the the current version of cody stamen is is capable of that so i'm gonna bank on it but i like the fight a lot because yeah douglas de silva is always dangerous Mm -hmm. always and cody stamen is not he's never been dangerous even yeah. the current version of Cody Stamen, who is better and more interesting and harder hitting than ever, mm-hmm. he's still like that one TKO over a thoroughly washed Eddie Wineland. Right. Is his first finish since Zach Church in 2017. Yeah. I mean, I think he 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 strikes me as a guy who, you know, like old school Drew Dober. Yeah, he could be turning. The he truth. probably hits plenty hard to be putting, put, turning people's lights off. Yeah, it, it, we may be on the cusp of the Drew Dober turn. Like, yeah. he, 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 shit, he looks like the, you know, like they have the same kind of build. They have, <laughs> yeah, a, they really do. It's they right there. Giant chins, extremely thick, broad backs and shoulders. Yeah. Powerful little stumpy legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both spend most of their careers just sort of bouncing around on tiptoe, and then there comes a point where they're like, "What if I stand in front of the dude and crush him?" Yeah. Um. The w- one thing I will say is I I do think there are still some hitches in the Cody Stamen transformation process. Like, sure. Uh, again, like he had to. It seemed he had to like keep sort of reminding himself to keep winning against Leon yeah. Lacerda. That was a very close fight where there were long stretches where yeah, Lacerda was just more insistent on coming forward. 
uh, there came a point where he just was like, you're not going to back me up. I'm going to march you down and fire huge kicks at you. And there were moments, too, where Stamen was like on a roll. He was in his face. He was putting two, three body shots in a row on him, uh, ending with a shot upstairs. He would do that like, you know, four of these little exchanges and then just kind of stand there like, OK, you now you now you like he's, he's not a pressure fighter naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that he's just going to like roll over Douglas De Silva with pace doesn't entirely convince me. Douglas De Silva is going to fire back. He's going to fire back like a crazy man. Um, he is also going to sling vicious shots to the body. He is going to rip huge swinging left hooks at Cody Stamen. And Stamen, I, I think, is still prone to kind of letting a wild man like that back into the fight at times. Mm-hmm. I think it's I, a very tough test, basically, of the new Cody Stamen game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I just think that Douglas De Silva, he's also he's not a... Um, I don't think he has the form to be a volume striker. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He he puts maximum power into everything and throws himself off balance doing it. Yeah. And so his ability to like, he might be, you know, I think for Stamen, he would really have to claw his, he would have to be unwilling to engage for very long stretches. You know, I think he, he would have to really get scared off by Andrade because he's Andrade is not going to, take over the fight for long stretches so much as be the more powerful guy in a bunch of 50, 50 exchanges. If Stamen settles for just going 50, 50 with him. Right. And when, when it is a fight where things like start off poorly for De Silva, as it seems they might hear and he comes back to win, it is usually the opponent collapsing. Yeah. Not just sort of giving him a window. And then he's, he, he is kind of for all the excitement, uh, you know, uh, and toughness that he has displayed. He is kind of a fighter who's either winning or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of fights where you're like, Oh, he's being Douglas De Silva, but he wasn't like winning this right away. And so he's not going to get himself into it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, like I say, it's a, it's a fighter who has taught himself to fight. And so there's, you know, there are just big gaps of in everything in, in all of the different, like how, you know, I was doing my thing and it's not working. How do I do something else? There's not, you know. Yeah. Douglas De Silva does his thing. He's 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 just not a very um, strategic fighter, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to like find one little opening and then leverage that into like this expanding comeback game. He's not a systematic fighter in that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think he is going to try to, he's going to have to push back on Cody Stamen. And based on his last fight, uh, I have more faith than I would have ever had before that, uh, Stamen is going to be put in a position where he has to either respond or lose. And I think he's going to respond. Yeah. I think he's going to slip and fire back. His counter punching looked great. And Douglas De Silva, Lord knows, uh, the way he throws his punches is just wide open for counters. I think this is a very interesting matchup and, uh, looks like a good uh, next step for uh, the newer, meaner Cody Stamen. Yeah, I like this fight a lot. Shame either guy has to lose, but you know. Yeah. Uh, Silva opened at plus 104 and is currently at plus 140. Stamen opened at minus 140 and is currently at minus 175. 
those odds getting a little longer in Stamen's direction. I, you know, don't get him too long. Stamen is, he is a good rock solid middle of the division kind of stalwart, but he's very capable of just kind of not putting a stamp on a fight at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he's going to let Douglas De Silva run him backwards, and like those those old instincts are still in there. Yeah. All right. Lightweight bout, Natan Levy, Pete Rodriguez. And which far too limited lightweight is going to get his uniquely limited game going? Uh... I mean, because like, you know, Natan Levy, he's got this. Is it karate? I can never remember. I mean, yeah, I it's something like that. His topology photo is really stupid. Yeah. He's got pant, karate pants and the belt, which looks like it was like. Yeah, karate and kung fu. Which looks like it was like weathered in one of those like Taiwanese sweatshops where like a guy breathes in black belt dust all day. Yeah, yeah. Just like t- to making tailor made uh, weather worn black belts. Yeah. De stressed, acid washed black belts. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Um, and yeah, Livy has. He's the kind of fighter who. He's a good athlete. It's very clear. He is a very natural, fast, strong athlete. And he's basically just been channeled into a bunch of bullshit. Yes. That being a good athlete has allowed him to make work. And I think the Valdez fight is a sign that he's slowly trying to work his way out of that. Mm-hmm. Like one of the big things in that Valdez fight was he just had like his left hand glued to his chin. And then, you know, was, was like countering in combination when he had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But there's also just still a lot of like spinning back kicks and one lunging strike that leaves him set straight in the pocket or mm-hmm. backing straight up online when his opponent comes forward. Stuff that is and his head is, you know, there is a rod that goes straight down his spine to the base of his ass, basically. <laughs> and just his torso does not, n- nothing in his head torso area moves at all. No. Very, uh, very Gregory Rodriguez, but at lightweight and without quite the, uh, the, the depth of punching form. Certainly not. How dare you even make that comparison? <laughs> Gregory Rodriguez moves his head. He does. He does. He, he just, just gets plonked when he's mid combination usually. Yeah. But he yeah. slips and counters and stuff like that. It's true. It's come on. But there's there's a lot of potential for 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 Levy to improve. He's he's a good athlete. Like I said, like there's a lot of potential to break to break him down and build him back up. But. It, mm-hmm. There's a lot in there to break down, it feels like. And his success has mostly come with people who just can't compete with him athletically. And yeah. they can't make him pay for his mistakes. And uh, Pete Rodriguez got rushed because the UFC needed somebody on no notice to fight Jack Della Maddalena. <laughs> and he signed up. 
And otherwise, he reminds me, um, he kind of feels like a, a Mike Perry who started out with better fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Where like, yeah, he's there to brawl, but he's got some nice nifty counters and he is aware of his jab and he is trying to learn and trying to kind of put all this stuff together. Mike Perry, otherwise... but his Mike Perry, but his parents loved him. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's MMA. Let's not go too far. Yeah, that's true. You don't get a neck to Tall... tattoo. You don't get a neck tattoo like that. If your parents love you, <laughs> Mike Perry, but his parents tolerated him. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> let him stay in the house after he turned 16. Oh, that's a nice tattoo, sweetie. Um, <laughs> but like he's got real power in his hands and mm-hmm. much like Mike Perry when he first came to the UFC a lot of natural timing and a natural feel for fighting mm-hmm. uh, he got totally shown up by uh, uh, Della Maddalena at his own game because Della Maddalena's just had a lot more experience and a lot more high-end training, doing the same things that Rodriguez wants to do. Yeah. Um, But he still landed some shots in that. He was still standing in and, you know, trying to do his thing. And then you saw him in the next fight against uh, Mike Jackson, somebody who is just not even close to the level of athlete that should be competing at this level. Yeah. I mean, an utterly meaningless matchup, unfortunately. Yeah, but at least, I mean, I always think... It's kind of it's it's too bad that it, it in some ways. I mean, it's good that it doesn't happen more often. But for my purposes and scouting purposes, it's almost too bad that we don't get to see more fighters in totally one-sided fights because they show you exactly what the fighter is preparing to do and want and, and training to do and thinks they can do. That's true, and it is the very basic test of if you have it all your way. Yeah, what do you can do? you can you get this dude the hell out of there? And when Cer- he has it all certainly way, yeah. Pete Rodriguez is fucking violent. Yeah. Like the game that dude wants to play is a bullish, violent pocket counter game. Yeah. That is scary. <sighs> so the question is, does he get to play that game with Natan Levy? Because if he does, uh, you know, I think he can knock Natan Levy out. Yeah. And if Levy is capable of confusing him enough at range and of staying clear of the pocket enough, then Levy can probably outpoint Pete Rodriguez because the game is still just so simple. And so tuned to one kind of offense. But I'm going to pick Rodriguez here. Because the the thing with Levy is we've seen Levy against lesser competition. Yeah. And it's almost all it's almost all decisions. Yeah. And a few submissions. He's still to this point not exactly clear what it is he's supposed to be doing. There is not a yeah. single-minded kind of process even in fights where as you said before like the ones he's winning are ones where he really does just kind of get it all his way like yeah 
the, the, the reason he's winning them is largely that his opponent cannot compete with him. Yeah, like he had a hard back and forth at times fight with Gennaro Valdez where he was just clearly way more athletic than Valdez and could land all the bigger shots while Valdez tried to stand, would try to like come forward and battle back with him. Right. And Um, I think Pete Rodriguez can hit hard enough and is consistent enough with what he wants to do in the pocket that he can, he can maybe clean Levy's clock. Yeah, and I think I think the other thing is I, he's probably going to end up pressuring Levy. I mean, that to yeah. me is a big question. That's something that a lot of these other guys can't figure out a way to do. They're like, oh, this guy wants to kick me. I should stay really far away so yeah. he can kick me. Um, yeah, as far as I can tell, Levy is a guy who um, is just designed to be crowded and pushed around. He tends yep. to back up in straight lines. He's really, really dependent on his kicks. His defense is a complete mess when he is put on the back foot. Um, and yeah, Rodriguez is like, he moves forward very quickly when he decides to burst. Mm-hmm. And he does it mostly with like pretty solid straight punches. Yeah. One, like, one, two, you know, like. I really do think like Rodriguez, it's just a case of, you got you got too much too soon, but the baseline for being a very good fighter with time and yeah. work is right there. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't mean anything that he lost to Madalena. No. Yeah. Of course that happened, right? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean anything that he beat Mike Jackson either. But I like what I see. Fundam. I like, like I say, the way he lost to Madalena was a fighter. You know, stepping into the pocket to play a pocket boxing game and finding somebody who just had longer combinations and smoother release and a more yeah. natural technique than he is exactly what he wanted him to do. Yeah. And that's not the what fight... Levy's going to want him to do. Yeah. And then the fight with Mike Jackson, at the very least, you're seeing that game again, but he's, you know, you're seeing what it looks like when he gets to do it his way. And it looks good and violent. You know, mm-hmm. it looks the way it should against somebody who can't compete with him there. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, like I said, I, I, there, uh, honestly, I feel like I learn more about watching fight, uh, more about fighters to know them and what they're capable of in the two fights that somebody like Pete Rodriguez has had in the UFC than in like Cody Stamen's case where we got to watch him in a lot of like close scrapes against very good opponents for a long mm-hmm. time, like mm-hmm. watching a dude get his ass utterly beat and watching him then go beat somebody's <laughs> ass. It tells you what all their flaws are and what all their strengths are right away. It's, it's kind of a, a cheat sheet almost. I suppose so. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Pete Rodriguez looks solid. Yeah. He looks strong. He looks powerful. He's fast. And uh, his basic boxing technique is pretty good. So yeah, um, I have. Then again, I mean, I have picked Natan Levy. I hate Levy's game, and I have yep. biasedly picked against him multiple times and been proven wrong. Yeah, he, I tend to have picked him. I, I think. Okay, the well part. then, you make me feel better about desperately wanting Rodriguez to win here. Yeah, and it could just be too that you know Rodriguez will wait in and Levy will just hit a double leg and take him off his feet and take his back and choke him out because yeah, Rodriguez's game is so lacking in well-roundedness that Levy and Levy is a good enough athlete that he can just, you know, make up 
make up the balance with weirdness and with unexpected technique. Yeah. But I I don't see enough of that out of, you know, Levy's just, he's had too many decisions where he doesn't, you know, he, he, he has too many fights where he doesn't dominate the way it seems like he should. No, given he's, the level he's of just really awkward. He has to think about everything he does. Yeah. And Pete Rodriguez has never thought a day in his life. No. This man's not thinking. Thinking's <laughs> for losers. Thinking's for guys who don't have neck tattoos. That's right. Pussies. Uh, <laughs> in other words. Yeah. Levy is a heavy favorite here. Open at minus 270, currently minus 240. Rodriguez opened at plus 233, is currently down at plus 209. I think those odds are wide. Like, Rodriguez, if nothing else, Rodriguez is a dude who's finished every fight he's won. And Levy is a dude who finishes almost none of the fights he's in. I don't know. I know that that's not like a good thing. No, no, that that's, it's, it's I, I don't know why the odds are so wide. Yeah. But. But again, like I just get this feeling with Levy that he just keeps winning these fights. He, he does. He sucks, though. I don't know. He's going to win again, isn't he? I hope not. <laughs> me too. But is that why I'm picking against him? For Maybe. me, it's I, I'm just thinking like Levy will let him into the pocket. And uh, no, but you're just better at lying to yourself than me. I know I am. I know. <laughs> 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 You're like, no, for me, it's actually all of these rational reasons. Yeah. I guess no. I, that's called rationalization. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> There's probably some super clear idea why Levy is going to win this fight that we're just not acknowledging, but I I don't know. He yeah. sucks. His style is annoying. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we have this problem actually fairly often that there are fighters. Yeah, with, of course. Like, yes. You know, we just hate their game at a base level. Yeah. And then, you know, it's... Well, obviously that means it's bad. That means it must be bad, yeah. And uh, then they just go out and they win. And suddenly we are, uh, you know, we're talking about Kyle Bahio choking out Michael Oleksajic. Yeah. And we just hate... Like, Kyle Bahio is a, you know, might be a pretty good comparison for Natana Levy, frankly. But he's he's a more he he's a more d- definite shot wrestler though and like yeah gra- grappling artist where Levy it's just such a catch all so but it is the same kind of thing where it's just like I hate these kinds of games where somebody's just like plunking one shot every three minutes that's like some weird athletic acrobatic thing pulled out of thin air and then you're just like what. Why? It's weird. There's a bunch of guys who like don't have karate backgrounds who do what we think of as karate striking in MMA, like Henry Cejudo. Yeah. I think like Kyle Bahayu. I don't know what his background is. And then there's guys who actually come from like competitive karate, like Natan Levy or um, light heavyweights like, most. Im- well, who's light heavyweights most improved? Uh, we watched just fight on the Depressus. He did all the low kicks against William Knight. Oh God, uh, Marcin Prochnia. Yeah, yeah Procneo. These are actual karate guys, and they both have remarkably similar MMA striking games where they're like weird and awkward and hunched over, and they throw a lot of very peculiar low kicks. Yeah. Low kicks that do not look like Thai style low kicks. No. These weird extended 
um, form. That is what like actual karate guys do when you put them in MMA. <laughs> they like hunch their shoulders and kick. Yeah. I kind of feel like karate combat has done more to disgrace the art form than anything uh, in all the years prior. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's just it's just a, a, like every every show is a twenty minute highlight of guys not seeing a left hook. Yeah. A bunch all of right. yeah masterful martial artists who take themselves very seriously, getting into a fist fight and just winging stupid bombs at each yep. other the whole time. Yeah. Oh, this is karate, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Woman's flyweight bout. Another one we've broken down before. Gian Kim, Mandy Bohm. And um I thought this one sounded familiar. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we picked Gian Kim and I am not going to uh alter that course yeah no need to belabor that point balm is just she's just too slow really she just doesn't know what she's supposed to be doing like she yeah she came in with like a bunch of swagger and then just had it beaten out of her over the course of one fight yeah and now she just looks unconfident yep and kim has also had a bunch of swagger coming in and has had it beaten out of her several times and it's still you know what? She's just right there grinding yeah, on all. She's had it beaten skills. into her. Yeah. yeah. Like it, 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 there's no getting rid of it. She's. Yep. She will have a 50-50 exchanging punches in the pocket fight with absolutely everyone seemingly irrespective of level. Yep. She fights both up and down to the level of her of her competition. Yep. But that is not a fight in which Mandy Boom is going to be comfortable. Doesn't seem that way. It'll be nice to see Ji Young Kim get get a win back. She's been on a she's been on a slide lately, and this feels like a very yeah. a, a nice gift to give her a uh, you know to keep her around in the UFC. Yeah. All right. Uh, odds on that fight. Ji Young Kim is the favorite. Opened at minus two forty four. Is currently minus one ninety eight. Boom opened at plus 212, currently down at plus 175. And that brings us to a welterweight bout Brian Battle versus Gabe Green. Another one of our guys. Yep. Another one of our guys against a fighter that uh, really just, you know, once again, I feel for it just because, like, tough doesn't prepare fighters for anything. Mm hmm. And it's not getting a good level of fighter anymore. It's getting very young green fighters that where it used to get a lot of, you know, vets and in between levels of talent and like kind of all around tests. It feels more and more like tough these days is just getting the rawest recruits in the MMA world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like Brian Battle came out of tough and he beat a couple of other very raw fighters and Takashi Sato, who is just very limited. And then he met one wrestler who just wrecked his whole day. Yep. And Green isn't a wrestler, but I don't really know that there's anything in Brian Battle's toolkit that has him well prepared for Gabe Green. No, there's just sort of a broader idea that Brian Battle comes into his fights without a plan. Yeah. 
and he basically relies on like, oh, I'm going to get hit a bunch of times mm-hmm. and think crazy stuff is going to happen. And then I'm still going to be there. Yep. That and is I'm always been the figure problem. it out. Okay. And so it just seems like, yeah, whether it's Fakhar Dinov with the wrestling or Gabe Green with the relentless pressure striking game, that um, somebody who has a super concrete and f- like forcing style of fighting is, yeah. is going to be in the driver's seat immediately. Mm-hmm. And that and that Brian Battle is going to have to, if anything, battle his way back into it. And uh, now, it's impossible to avoid the puns. It's a word we use all the time. But the, the, the worst part of it is, it is a word. That it, it's impossible to avoid the puns for everyone seemingly except Brian Battle. Because <laughs> his nickname is The Butcher. Yeah. Which, A, there's never been a fighter whose nickname is The Butcher that feels less like a butcher than Brian Battle. Yeah. Like... He went you know, for the alliteration. I mean, that's more effort than a lot of fighters give, I suppose. But yeah, but, dude, come on, play off that last name. It should be you yeah. should be you know for the Narnia fans. It should be Brian the Last Battle. Sure. You know, come on. Or yeah. Shout or, out C.S. Lewis. Come on, buddy. Something just you. It's battle. Your last name is Battle. Uh, Brian bred for battle. You know. Yeah. Uh, or uh, born to battle. Or. Yeah. You know, something you, you can still do the alliteration. Yeah, yeah. Make it a make a phrase out of it. You've born, got born in. You could do like you, you yeah. know. Yeah. Something you know. There, there, there is. There are so many opportunities, and the butcher is the worst of them. <laughs> Real is especially just because it's such a like generic. It might as well be pitbull. I think he should have a two-part, a split nickname for the Master and Commander fans out there. Brian, Oceans Are Now, Battle Fields. <laughs> you know, has anyone ever done that? A two-part split right. nickname? <laughs> that would be great. Come on. Come on, Brian. <laughs> Brian, Jesus Christ. Up the game. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just... With battle, it, it it feels like his his style is not uh, yeah it's just not it's not honed into anything and tough didn't do that either. It's a very like I'm gonna go out I'm gonna kind of be on my bike I'm gonna throw a lot of kicks I'll clinch up and we'll just get the make the fight messy and aggressive and I'll trade in the pocket if I need to and the clinch will always be there for my release valve and you'll get tired and I'll stay aggressive. Yeah, and. Yeah, as you, as you said, like a fighter like Gabe Green, who is just all about constant pressure and output and setting a pace that fighters can't match. Or Renat Fekutinov, uh, who's just all about constant wrestling and things like that. Somebody who's all about constant creation and tirelessness mm-hmm. are going to find constant opportunity. Someone who seizes the initiative. Yeah. So maybe maybe battle will, you know, find his path through all this, but I don't know what the path is. Yeah. Right now. I don't know what kind of fight he is looking to create other than scram fight. Yeah. Other than a, a fight and that just doesn't Yeah. Doesn't cut it. 
just going pretty, out there. It's it's not 2005. Like just going out there and scrapping with anyone yeah. is not a is not a, a a reliable path to victory. We re- we all realize it got Forrest Griffin to a UFC championship, but yeah, the that game kind of died when he retired. You know, it there. was a long time ago, and it was light heavyweight, dude. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Green is the favorite here. Opened at minus one twenty or so, and is currently at minus one twenty-seven. After jumping up and down a little, Battle opened at minus one hundred three, jumped up to plus one twenty-three, and has basically stayed there. So that brings us to our final fight of the prelims: Jessica Rose Clark, Tynara Lisboa. Mm. And the ultimate, ultimate question, did the UFC once again find a fighter so un- entirely undangerous that Jessica Rose Clark can beat them? Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who's got the yips. Yeah. Uh, and Jessica she, Rose Clark she, has been, yeah, she's been open about it. I mean, she's got, yeah. like, she went to a sports psychologist. She's just like... Clearly, she, um, you know, is is like well trained for these fights. She comes in with a plan, and then just like everything goes out the window. Literally, you know, I scouted Stephanie Egger for her team. No, do you do you think it was a mystery that she had no reason to be in there, just allowing Egger to clinch with her? Yeah. Do you think that she? I she knew that. That wasn't yep. her plan. She just went in there and did it immediately. <laughs> she just like is, I think, just like freaking out silently yeah, she, in her she, fights. She is. I hadn't really thought about it until just now, but she is really in that Chase Sherman zone. She doesn't yeah. show the. She doesn't show the hatred of fighting so much as Chase Sherman seems to in his fights. Yeah. But it's the very similar. Like, does your opponent have one thing they do enough well? that they can take away from you. If they do, they can probably beat you. And the clear, and there's also just the clear frustration that you can see from her every time something goes wrong. Yeah. That she is mad at herself for what she's doing in the fight. There's not not the withdrawing hatred of it that Chase Sherman has, but the other parts are right there. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't like Chase Sherman in like a depression state, just like drinking himself silly after he got caught the first time. I don't know if he was drinking himself silly or not, but he went totally broke and had a whole bunch of problems. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know Jessica Rose Clark is a recovering alcoholic. This is obviously harebrained armchair psychology. I'm like, is there something in these people's brains? that's just like, I I, I don't know. Self-defeating. Self-defeating, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's Jessica Rose Clark's problem. She's much, much, much better than Tynara Lisboa. Yeah. Who was just not impressive as a fighter. Yeah. She, she actually, <laughs> Lisboa looks like she could be pretty impressive as an athlete. Maybe, But yeah. she reminds me a lot of Haley Cowan. Yeah. Who recently looked at where you're like, oh, yeah, you're kind of a physical specimen. Let's watch you fight. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, you you don't do anything. Yeah, she is she is very very formless, and you can see why because her technique is bad. Like yeah, 
when she did, when she is forced to do something, she swings super wide punches. She usually gets hit in the middle of her combinations. She's really easy to take down. Like this could easily be one of those fights where Jessica Rose Clark just like panics her way into a wrestling game plan. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it would probably work. I mean, I'm going to pick Jessica. Yeah, I think I have to, too. And I think that honestly, the, the panic into wrestling is why. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. It was good enough for Clark to beat Jocelyn Edwards Mm -hmm. in a terrible fight, but certainly an uncontestable win. And uh, Liz Boa with that five and two record, like you look at the people that she's beating. Yeah, they're they're nobodies. There is one win in all of her victories of the fighters she fought at the time she fought them. Three fighters were making their debut. Yep. One had one loss, and another was one in four. And the one in four fight is the fight that got her to the UFC. Yeah. I am entirely unclear as to why. Uh, let me see. Damas 013. Um, yeah, it's not even like there's a camp connection here that would be like, you know, it's not like she's under the, like, Team Pitbull or something like that that would be, uh, y- you know, one of those camps where the UFC, they, they somebody who knows, you know, Mick Maynard or Sean Shelby will go to them and be like, oh, I've got a great fighter for you to sign and hand them somebody that they're not otherwise interested in. That happens reasonably often. There's not even that connection. Who knows? I think it's just literally the UFC is getting to that stage that they should have got to a long time ago, which is just sign some fucking Phantom Weights. Yeah, just, probably. You have this division, just sign people to fight in it. But um, Liz Boa just needs a lot of work. She needs a lot of time. The The potential physicality is there, but None of the rest of the game is, and it's not physicality alone that beats Jessica Rose Clark. It is usually having one skill yeah. that beats her. Because, you know, she beat Paige Van Zandt's a fine athlete. Jocelyn mm-hmm. Edwards is a fine athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she, she has beat fine athletes over her career. But it's fighters who can do one thing. And I don't know that Tainara Lisboa has a thing she can do. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, she should. I mean, yeah, this would be serious to like, you know, for your own good, consider changing careers if you're not going to beat Tainara Lisboa. Yeah. I mean, already just getting, losing to like the, literally the only thing Julia Stoliarenko can do. Yeah instantly that is like a uh, you know and i'm not making fun of her like i think she's going through it jessica rose clark and yeah uh, and that can't be a fun experience to just like yeah just immediately walk into the only way you lose a fight immediately two times in a row yep um so critical mass of self-defeatism and and this this is the like to me feels like the last chance to uh, to step off that path. Yeah, no kidding. Clark is the underdog. Wow. Opened at minus 195 and has shot up in the last couple days. So actually kind of a wild swing. 
from uh, minus 180 or 90 or so to plus 107. And uh, Tainara Lisboa opened at plus 173 and has just absolutely swung the other way down to minus 118 in the past couple days. So it looks like somebody came in and placed a rather large bet on uh, Lisboa. Well, those uh, those people have uh, definitely picked correctly in the last few weeks. Yeah. The 35K dropped on Phil Halls. Beautiful. Great idea. Yeah. So I wouldn't well, take too, too much away from that line if it's no. one idiot just losing money they can afford to lose. Yeah. On that note, though, that wraps up the non-substack portion of our podcast. If you're not a subscriber, we have bonus content coming for exclusively for paying subscribers on Substack. So you should sign up, get with it, and uh, join us on that. And otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at TheZaneSimon and find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. We'll be back in just a moment. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, MusicBee, RSS Radio, IMDb, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, PodCruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Crooklyn's Corner, the Sixth Round Retro, the Show Money Podcast, the MMA Depressed Us, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, and the Return of the MMA Bunker.